there is influence in even the slowest industry towards what is the new thing and why is it better than the old thing? And uh, what are the dynamics by which it can be changed? We are Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Today's sponsor is Eva, the most intelligent Amazon scaling toolkit online. Amazon sellers need exact, quick-to-read profit reports. Many sellers already pay a lot of money for these. Eva has world-class finance analytics with crystal-clear graphs included at no extra cost. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers, averaging a 51% increase in profits. To get a 15-day free trial, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com ba.com forward slash eva hey folks welcome back to the e-commerce leader podcast today we are talking about the 12 e-commerce fragmentation drivers and marketing traps in other words how calm the e-commerce marketplaces we're in whether that's uh, literally marketplaces amazon ebay or your own bigger marketplace yes a direct to consumer site within the overall sort of sphere of Google and all the social media. How come it's also fragmented? And today we're going to keep going with Porter's 12 e commerce fragmentation drivers, uh, really important strategic thinking tools, also very interesting. I, I think we've enjoyed discussing this a lot, and we hope that you find it useful in your thinking about your e commerce business. Enjoy the show. You just described as the track that we're on and that, that you just outlined there. It sounds like a wonderful podcast. I need to listen to it. Kyle and I were e-commerce operators that started doing, well, in my case, writing books, which has its own dynamic education, basically one-on-one -on -one coaching. And, and then what we realized in 2000, I guess it was maybe 2020, was there was software as a service tools that do have those very interesting dynamics. So in my newsletter, in the footer of it, for the last year and a half, I've told people the business we're building to serve you, and I lay out my business model. It is made up of four component parts, the software as a service tools, which are OmniRocket Pro, the sourcing uh, tool Danny Stock originally created, it was legendary sourcing, and now OmniRocket uh, sourcing tool. Uh, that SaaS model has the dynamics you described. One of the dynamics of that industry or model is, of course, that there's ready money to be invested from Silicon Valley in such enterprises. But we've woven that together with our one-on-one -on -one coaching, which is obviously not sellable as an exit, but it's high margin and we like doing it. And then we have educational events based on my writing and authorship, but also on these large events. We just did, for example, the e-commerce Power Summit for 2022 and had 500 people who registered for that. And that education track has its own dynamics. And, uh, and then what the fourth component of our business model is done for you services, where we basically built the dream team of operators that we then allow our clients to tap into. So we have graphic art and Shopify site dev 
people and funnel builders and face people who used to work at Facebook who now work up for us to do Facebook advertising and on. So we built this dream team that we use for our own business, but we shop them out to other clients. So those done for you services are the fourth part of our business model. So all of these swirl together to make an interesting business for us that we think is valuable and is growing in value, both on real net profit terms, but also on growth and the ability to get investor income, investor money, and also the ability to exit someday. By yeah, the way, all um, of these fragmented bits are what we're working through all the time. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, by the way, if, I, if that had been my intention, this is the most organic pitch ever for somebody in a podcast, but um, that was absolutely not my intention, <laughs> nor it was yours. It just struck no, me that actually this is, you are watching as a business coach of mine said years ago, he was a smart guy, but he said, look, okay, by all means, follow what smart people do say but above all observe what they do and i think you're yeah. you, what you do and what you say match very well you have great integrity as i'd expect of you but it's very interesting to look at that because actually i suppose it gives us a bigger picture that e-commerce sits within very closely related industries and mm -hmm. much of which is subject subject to this fragmentation thing because in yeah. the end if you're going to sell somebody a course or coaching as we both do for a particular thing there, there's a very fragmented need uh, which is mm -hmm. very specific amazon private label training i mean that's seriously specific that's not generic yeah. business coaching this is very interesting stuff what else have we got here newness you're an american tell me about newness american marketing has somehow made newness a fetish for the last hundred plus years i think more than anywhere in the world that strikes me why is newness part of this fragmentation thing it's because what they said in the iron giant cartoon did you ever watch that it's all about planned obsolescence all the old toasters and the old cars all sit around and they're so sad in the cartoon because the people who were smart and built all these things created planned obsolescence and uh, it is an interesting dynamic, isn't it, for product development, that it's the, always the new thing that catches people's attention. And there's such a confluence right now of influencers, for example, the TikTok crowd that comes up or the Instagram crowd that comes up. And, and they're hip and young and have huge social currency and status. And what do they want to do? They don't want to do what their parents were doing and they don't want to wear what their parents were wearing. And they, it's all about the new thing. The British invasion in the 60s for the Beatles and all that created a culture in which we were always looking for the new thing. Many times it comes from Britain and there's tons of cultural uh, influence from That's Europe and, and, and that kind of thing. But there's always this churn and it bleeds right into salesmanship and, and product pitching. And it's almost organic. You see the whoever's Kardashians or whatever, and what they happen to be wearing in terms of a necklace or a, a bracelet or shoes or something like that, which was, I guess, strategically planned on their part, but such a minor component of their lifestyle brand. And yet whole industries can be shifted or created because of this amazing new necklace or bracelet or shoes or whatever it is. And e-commerce folks are quick to facilitate those the sales from it and those trends and that trend spotting thing is there's whole universities that have trend analysts and market forecasters in fashion my my daughter went through university of hawaii's fashion merchandising track for her undergraduate degree and they're all taught how to do this stuff how to spot trends how to make lookbooks and trend books and things like that so that people know what's coming who's the coolest person doing the coolest thing and what does that mean for your niche or industry and, and many industries that we operate in are so boring and slow 
compared to what I just described, but they're not uh, impermeable. There is influence in even the slowest industry towards what is the new thing and why is it better than the old thing? And uh, what are the dynamics by which it can be changed? So much of that is written about in my favorite book, Growing a Business by Paul Hawken, where he talks about strategies for creating newness in in product development. And so, yeah, I think it's just a common part of what happens on e-commerce. The weird part about it in today's marketplace is the speed at which a new thing can go from zero to just millions or just huge volume. And when I was a kid, we'd hear about a new bubble gum or a new comic book character or a new like uh, whatever, like you know, sports celebrity or something like that. And those things would come along so slowly. But in today's industry with social media fueling e-commerce, you get this incredible velocity and things can pop up. And of course, those things can be engineered as well where your thing maybe isn't cool, maybe isn't really new, maybe isn't that dynamically interesting. And yet with the right influencer working with you uh, to the right community of their buyers, it can be perceived as the new thing for them and your sales velocity can take off. So all of these things, you just sit back and watch and you're like, wow, such an amazing industry we're a part of. And uh, we're always constantly surprised by these things. And yet the history rhymes. And uh, you see these things over and over. Wow. I'm glad I asked you that question. That's a profound, some profound things in that. Planned obsolescence sounds really obvious as soon as you say it. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, iPhone creates the iPhone 10, the iPhone yeah. 12, the iPhone 25. You know, when I'm an old man, the iPhone 50, <laughs> if they're still around. But by the way, they, they may yeah. not be, but that's a different question. But yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. But also what struck me is within myself and I'm not, am I a typical, I, mean, I buy a lot of stuff on Amazon. So am I a typical particular type of consumer? So part of me, and you were talking about the identity link with newness, which is very interesting because teenagers have always wanted to buy new stuff. And you're right there. The Britain has exported new stuff. I think actually TV and, and pop industry accounts for about 10% of GDP. Here. It's huge. I looked down my nose at it because my background is people are playing music that's at least 200 years old just so that for me is established that's quality music that stood the test of time this is not typical of your average consumer and i reckon i recognize this but also i identify myself very proudly with if it's old it's good it's just a little bit hipster i've got one of one of the trends you might see is people like buying i don't know vinyl records or old stuff or things to look after old yeah. stuff i don't yeah. know brushes for ancient clothes so there's a sort of there's newness and then there's a new take on oldness which sells really well but hipster yeah. them is if that means anything is that yeah. old but actually via new media so i would buy mm-hmm. downloads of very old symphonies played by dead people <laughs> but mm-hmm. via spotify or, or apple music for example you don't have to pay on yeah. spotify so yeah. it's interesting that relationship between newness and traditionalism and identity yeah. there's a whole bunch of stuff that wow there's each one of these could be a podcast in themselves there's a load totally. here An example of that that's funny to me to behold, which is interesting, is my grandmother had this room in the front of her house, and she called it her sunroom, and she grew African violets there. And she's in her 70s, 80s, whatever, when I'm a kid, and uh, that was just what she did. So I learned to love houseplants from her, and I'm 51, and I'm I'm a boring old guy too, but I like my houseplants. So I was just shocked to see that the, like, millennials on Instagram and and TikTok, there's a whole industry of 19-year-old girls who are incredibly into houseplants. They make these amazing Instagram reels and, uh, and TikTok videos all about their houseplants. And these people in 
far off places like the Philippine Philippines have these huge YouTube channels where all they do is talk about their plants that are common to them. But people around the world are fascinated because their house plants are unique plants and orchids and cocodama and all these things that are just global little interesting things that have been around centuries that somehow have become new again. And the YouTube video channels and TikTok and social media and Instagram have blown them up to new heights. And if you're a plant salesman, you're thinking, what in the world has happened? Our industry has been recatalyzed by the what's old is new again phenomenon. And uh, Yeah, it's just old wine and new mind. bottles is, is the phrase <laughs> that springs to mind. And I guess that that's the marketer's dream. I, all, I think all people who go to a consultant or coach just secretly hoping that you can just pour the old wine of their existing product into the new bottle of your magical marketing hacks and pay presto, lots of profit flows out. Sometimes that can be done, I guess. I mean, certainly the broader branding strategy you you can certainly do that if it's organic right that the people making their tiktok videos probably hoping to get famous some of them do by chance a lot of them just love houseplants and like videos yeah. the other thing yeah. that strikes me again coming back to diverse market needs which is one of the the forces that Porsche identified as leading to fragmenting market this is such a rich theme i'm so glad you brought this up that diverse market needs but um buyers are willing to pay a premium for very special varieties that's super important for again the riches and the niches idea right what's your experience of that either as a seller yourself or, or what? It's uh, incredibly relevant to today's e-commerce dynamics. I mentioned Etsy, I think when I was doing this initial read through of the 12 forces, but you go on many e-commerce platforms now and what you'll realize is there's a global use case for such interesting small variants or versions or tweaks or changes. Just for an example, physical good sellers who sell something that's to some degree a commodity will put it in a package with six things. Oh, it's six light bulbs or it's six whatever. But there's actually a massive community of people who are maybe restaurateurs or school administrators or people who need the 400 pack, not the six pack. They want the 400 pack. That unique need and their willingness to pay a premium for someone who said to themselves, oh, I'm going to actually sell this just for the fire departments of America, or I'm just going to set this up so that it works for teachers really good, or for coaches of sports teams. Those little tiny, to your point, riches in the niches, <laughs> maybe they changed that word to make it work that way. I don't know, riches in the niches. Um, when you start to go down that track, you realize there's almost an infinite set of unique customers that have been globalized on the marketplaces and therefore almost an infinite number of opportunities for people to become differentiated in service of those customer communities. And the old classic statement is from in the, the, the Long Tail by Chris Anderson. His commentary on this, which is a fantastic book to read about this, by the way. His commentary is that in the olden days, pre-internet, which Michael, you and I remember, you remember London before the internet, probably. And I remember my hometown, little California town. You couldn't have a store, for example, for pen aficionados, the, the inkwell type pens. Now, maybe in London, of course, you did have that. But in little towns in America, you couldn't. There weren't enough people who cared. You couldn't have, for example, to go back to our prior comments about plants, you couldn't have a thriving plant stop shop, you would have a florist who delivered flowers and also had a few plants. But the roll-up of these marketplaces have allowed these differentiators to really build incredible businesses on the back of this super 
delineated service for these diverse needs, diverse communities. And I think it, it, it won't stop, especially because you'll what you realize, of course, is there's huge markets that are not even on the internet yet. And our charity serves in Zambia and Zambian internet technology, connectivity, the devices themselves, whether you have a phone that's uh, able to get you on the internet or, or computers, there are just massive swaths of people who are just behind on that stuff. But guess what they're going to do when they get on the internet? They're going to start looking for houseplants. They're going to start looking for, you know, ink pens and their whatever their funny hobby is. And we're going to be blessed by them. And we'll have new things they sell into the world that were unique. And uh, so I think that's never going to stop. And I think that's one reason the internet e-commerce space will always be fractured and fragmented to, to Michael Porter's point here in this book. Yeah, I'd say, by the way, I didn't grow up in London. I grew up in a, a smallish town called Gloucester, which has got, it's, it was in the Doomsday Book because that's where it started. So it's got good history, typically British, but about 100,000 people. So it was similar. Did they have a store found. for ink pens and ink wells? They did not have a store for, well, they might have done actually, but they didn't have really a specialist store yeah. like, you know, ink, ink, only green ink or something like that. Whereas yeah. in London or New York, even back in the day, you could probably find that stuff, but yeah. or LA or somewhere. But to your point, I think uh, almost infinite set of unique customers you could serve. That that thing of there are always communities that will buy, pay a premium for things. And if you've got a pretty commodity product, but you can bundle it up with other things that are less of a commodity, or you can just, even if it's selling quite well, we had a, a guy in the mask one the other day, we just gave him the most simplistic advice in the world, but he went, oh yeah, it was news to him. So we'll see how the numbers look next meeting. But we basically said, okay, so you're selling a six pack of this. Why don't you sell an entire case, which apparently Amazon can let you fulfill now. So you send in a shipping carton of whatever it is, 24, 48 units, whatever it is. And why don't you offer it? I said, why don't you offer a discount for 10 cases 20 cases 50 because if you're buying for a hotel chain maybe they're going to get through a thousand units of this x widget that i must make sure i don't name <laughs> for the yeah. in the next month and maybe they'll buy six months worth so you might shift yeah. 50 cases instead of three individual units so there's profound yeah. um money to be made by simply thinking this stuff through and yeah. just doing the blindingly obvious but it's only obvious once you've done it and that's the this is a very simple play i mean a lot of people have thought of this but to be more nuanced as you said if you're uh, catering to schools that have slightly different needs yeah. to a community center which is a slightly different need to a hospital which is different from commercial kitchens any yeah. one of which could buy hundreds of units at a time i think even in on itself that is a huge opportunity yeah, totally. It just reminds me what you just described of one of our clients we work with who went that through that scenario I, I mentioned earlier where wonderful on Amazon and then trying to sell on Shopify was just a, a real slog and uh, went through the valley of despair and, and the challenges. Well, one of the things that was very interesting is that a seller came out of that valley of despair on direct consumer sales on Shopify was in his case, restaurants found him on direct to, this direct-to-consumer website he had made because of his investment in SEO and Google ads and such. And and the pallets started going out the warehouse. <laughs> it's like, it's can, not can I buy this by the case, it's can I buy this by the pallet? And then what he realized, of course, was they would have never, ever done that through the Amazon direct selling system. They would only do that if they found him through his own website and all this challenge of the investment in the website felt misery and it was like will this work but then it's there's an audience out there that will absolutely make it work with you or for you if you mm -hmm. find them and that was unlocked in that scenario 
very fascinating to watch. And those purchase orders for big in in uh, that scale buyers are it's a whole different game. And, and what's uh, interesting is that they put a website up with one business model in mind, business to bi- business yeah. to consumer, B two C or D two C, via a different model than the marketplace. And if you run that model at a tiny scale, it's absolutely broken because, as you said, all the costs of, of the, the upfront costs and then your ongoing uh, costs of graphic designers and photographers and everything else are going to crush you. Whereas what they actually stumbled across was a B2C, a B2B opportunity, which suddenly mm-hmm. changed everything. And, and I guess sometimes you have to put stuff out there before you stumble yeah. across opportunity, right? That's the yeah. thing you can't find. war, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's you, so you don't know. I mean, you don't yes. know what's how your your offer is matching to the market and you have to stumble your way through these things sometimes. And, and the reality is sometimes it takes you six months or 12 months or 18 months, 24 months to figure out who am I, who am I missing here? And, yeah. or who am I finding and am I serving them in the way that they want to be served? And that is such simple phrasing. That's obvious when you say, of course, yeah. Retrospect is, is always obvious. Like, isn't it? <laughs> And I don't know what they want. I don't know who they are, but I think I, I want to serve them. And those are lessons that are hard learned. Yeah. I guess the only thing I would say is you could short circuit the learning process by looking at the type of product and how you'd use it in what context. Yeah. And just thinking through, okay, people tend to buy. And the other one is taking the hint from the data, one or other. Like I used to sell stuff that people would habitually buy 50 of. And if mm-hmm. I'd taken it at the next step, was going to be just get an email list just and cold email them and have you know a fairly simple direct consumer site i wasn't even going to try and sell on that because it was an obvious play because the data told me that but the other thing is i'd if i'd thought about it which i hadn't <laughs> after a while you think oh yeah people tend to buy these in 50s and 100s because it's the nature of the beast so they're sold to so i guess one could at least take a stab at that as a thesis and try and put some kind of business to business call out on the site if the product lends itself yeah. to that probably yeah. not jimmy Choo's shoes equivalents or something like that but <laughs> So listen, fascinating stuff that I just want to mention to people once again, we talked a lot about this in in generalizations and fascinating discussion, I think, but we are going to be talking about five approaches to how to overcome fragmentation, which is really important to practical Mm -hmm. and doable stuff. We're going to talk about that in our next episode, if you're still up for that, Jason, I certainly am. Could you just run through again, just summarize those 12 reasons for fragmentation of a market as put out there by Michael Porter? Sure. Yeah. And I am excited about that conversation about the five ways to overcome the fragmented market. And again, if you're enjoying this conversation, go get a copy of Michael Porter's competitive strategy book, pour through that, and and then we'll have these reflect together here. So yeah, let me recap the 12 reasons industries get fragmented and, and we'll wrap up here. The first one is low overall entry barriers. Uh, the second one is the absence of economies of scale. The third one is high transportation costs. The fourth one is high inventory costs or erratic sales. The fifth one is no advantage of size when dealing with buyers or suppliers. The sixth one is diseconomies of scale. Things become more expensive as you get bigger. The seventh one is diverse market needs or the, the desire on the customer side for differentiation. The eighth one is high product differentiation. The ninth one is exit barriers or problematic ways to get out of the market. The 10th one is local regulation. The 11th is government prohibition or concentration in industries. And the 12th one is newness uh, that emerges in markets. So there you have it, man. I, I think this is a wonderful line of thinking for all of us who are really trying to brainstorm how best to position our products and our offers 
And uh, it's fun to be able to go through the list with you. So as always, it's an honor. Want to go yeah. ahead and wrap it up for us here? Absolutely. Yeah, it's been great fun. And I think this bigger picture thinking really comes into its own when you have to make decisions about where you're going next with your business and or the marketplace shifts greatly and forces you into decision making mode, uh, which is not necessarily something any of us particularly look for or want. But I think that things are shifting very rapidly at the moment and I think going to continue to. So this ability to do bigger picture thinking is going to be really important, I think. Talking of which, I want to to call out first Omni Rocket. You mentioned that before. We've talked in quite a lot of detail about your strategy, www.omnirocket.com. What things can you offer there immediately if people are interested in working with you more, Jason, or Declan? Yeah, it's the hub for all of our services. So uh, we do uh, one-on-one consulting by application only. Uh, You can certainly connect with us that way. We always do a free conversation with everyone who applies just to understand whether we're a good fit for you and you're a good fit for us and whether it's an appropriate service. There's also obviously our software tools available there, and those are designed for Amazon sellers. There's a suite of, of tools there being updated, refined, worked on all the time. They're low cost. The Full suite is just 29 bucks. And then we have links to our educational resources, our, our books and our events and that kind of thing. So all of that's available on mirocket.com. I guess I ought to give myself a shout out. It just sounds a bit lame. <laughs> Amazingfba.com. If you want to do some one-to-one work, particularly if you're UK based or, or Europe, we are increasingly, I think, in a somewhat different situation to America, thanks to the geopolitical ramifications of what's going on. And we've got the mastermind for uh, UK-based and and, uh, European-based sellers as well. So just go to amazingfba.com. That's our kind of hub. Last thing to say, how many report that our downloads are up quite a bit, I think, year on year. I've been looking at the stats recently, and that's great. So thank you so much for following and supporting us. If you haven't done so yet, please go to Spotify and follow the show and rate it if you can it's a rating out of five stars if you're on apple same thing i think they call it follow now so they're leading spotify is leading the language which is interesting so apple podcast is certainly where is spotify and they've changed the language to follow i think from subscribe but whichever it is follow mm-hmm. or subscribe and then you can rate us there as well uh rating one to five stars you can even leave a review on apple podcast if you can and if you're liking the show take 30 seconds and, and give us the love because no. it gives us the encouragement we do look at what you write we do notice what you're doing and it gives us encouragement to keep going with this stuff so thank you very much in advance for doing that for us great conversation man really looked forward to the next one as well and uh, it's always an honor me too yeah great fun thank you so much for your thoughts that was the e-commerce leader podcast with michael Vizi in london england and jason miles in seattle washington if you liked this content don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app for free resources including pdfs and videos on topics like traffic products and sales channels just go to www.theecommerceleader.com no hyphens just as it sounds thanks so much for listening